Hey, this is Janine Wright, Chief Legal Officer of Simplecast, America's top podcasting platform. You're listening to Good Counsel, a fresh take on legal trends hosted by Chris Sands and Tech GC. The gig economy, California classification, and the future of work. The way in which we work is changing. I pay owed to this as I record a podcast in my Pacific Northwest studio, just shy of a conference call with my New York counterparts. The future of work is here, but for many, it is much more impactful than simply working from a distant home rather than a corporate office. For the Uber drivers, Lyft drivers, Instacart shoppers, and many other gig workers, they are getting caught in the middle of what is becoming a heated legal battle, where a way in which they earn income is at stake. Independent contractors value flexibility, whereas employees value stability. But what happens when a technology fuels a new economy, the gig economy, one of which in its very nature is unfit for both employment and independent contractor relationships? To get perspective, I borrowed brains from a law partner, policy reformer, and venture capital partner. Andrew Moriarty, employment law partner at Perkins Coie, based in Seattle. What we're seeing is this struggle between people who view the gig economy as a threat and people who view the gig economy as an opportunity. And we haven't reached anything close to a national consensus on the issue. There is a split between jurisdictions and agencies that seem to accept that there's something new and different and worth protecting about what I'm calling the gig economy and the jurisdictions that think that the gig economy is a threat to the entire social contract, to the post-New Deal sort of implicit agreement between employers and employees that employees will have certain basic protections that they can't waive even if they want to. What I would say about the pushback that gets reported in the media is, that it's not necessarily reflective of the views or the experience of the vast majority of participants in the gig economy. It only takes one person to file a class action lawsuit in which the person claims to speak for the entire population of gig economy workers who are working with a particular company. My own view is that many of them understand that if you turn this hyper-flexible, self-directed, unsupervised, episodic work into a job, then it becomes a job. And all of the things that I that I just mentioned, the hyperflexibility and the rest of it, go by the wayside because once the company has the obligations of an employer with respect to the worker, the relationship just, just changes. And there's only so much flexibility and um, self-direction that you can build into an employment relationship. Seth Harris, author, lawyer, professor at Cornell, based in Washington, D.C. In the online platform economy, the worker opts into work. They decide whether, when, how, where they are going to work. You don't have that in employment. But that's not the same as saying, therefore, they are independent contractors, because there are other indicia of being an independent contractor that these folks don't satisfy, and they look more like employees. So you're stuck with the hard question, given that they are a little bit of one and a little bit of the other, what do you do? If you make all these workers employees, it significantly increases costs. There estimates that the difference between an independent contractor and an employee could be anywhere from 25 to 40 percent of labor costs. If you made the employees, I don't think you could allow an opt-in work system anymore. I don't think you could allow workers to decide for themselves when they're on the clock and when they're off the clock. You would have to schedule them, limit them, have some kind of oversight, because what that means if you just have an opt-in system is essentially unlimited liability for the companies or liability 
be that they can't control or measure. And I, I just don't think that they can they can operate that way. This is a, a an existential question for these companies because addressing this issue is really core to their business model and their revenue projections and EBITDA moving forward. Gisu Bearer, partner at Broadhaven Ventures, former employment counsel at Instacart, based in San Francisco. I have strong conviction around the degree of innovation and the strength of this gig work and the businesses that are growing around this economy. The number of people working in just the on-demand jobs platform economy rose from 3.2 million in 2015 to 3.7 in 2016 and forecasted to double by 2020 to about 7.5 million and continuing to surge beyond that to 2021. That's more than the entire population of New York City contributing to an economy that we still have not really figured out how to interact with and what our responsibilities are as a society in terms of creating the appropriate social safety net for this workforce. The current construction of both the regulatory framework and the labor codes that exist, particularly in states like California and Massachusetts, make it incredibly difficult for platform companies to make those contributions unilaterally without creating some sort of baseline agreement that that would absolve them of liability. If we can try and get our minds around a third category, I think that we can really achieve an optimal outcome for this growing workforce. Work is changing. Systems are recalibrating. During these architectural transformations, I worry whether the stakeholders of these issues are effectively communicating on the facts or whether there's a polarizing tone that promotes black and white solutions independent contractor or employee, which is it? The prevailing attitudes of California lawmakers have a clear anti-corporate, anti-big tech sentiment attached. Just look at the incoming California consumer privacy laws. The problem here is they kind of have a point. Silicon Valley has been in the best position to structure a third-party classification for the gig economy, but have instead invested resources into short-term gains awarded by maintaining the independent contractor status. Of course, this is an outsider's perspective. These gains could have been well worth the reputational, operational, and financial risks. On the other hand, the failure to get ahead of this issue could potentially act as a ball and chain on these companies for years to come. Split issues like this make me wonder about the over-reliance on old systems and methods to solve new problems. And who better to lead with innovative solutions than the tech industry? How can we create better collaboration and problem-solving mechanisms to foster innovation and prosperity? Do let me know. I'm Chris Sands, and this is Good Counsel. Good Counsel is produced by TechGC, a community driving innovation, education, and mentorship in the tech and legal industry. Visit techgc.co to learn more and subscribe to the Good Counsel newsletter for current legal news and trends affecting today's technology companies.